This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we travel to the last of the seven churches of John's Apocalypse, Laodicea. We've all heard the warning against being a lukewarm Christian. Is there more context to this idea? Let's find out. Excellent. Laodicea. Laodicea. Uh, Before we even get started, I should point out, there's a lot of lessons that this disclaimer would work for, but there are some lessons that Ray, my teacher, was known for more than others, and uh, this would probably be one of those. So I like to give a shout out before I give the impression that this lesson is mine, like I've somehow constructed it and put it together, because I haven't. I, I stole it from uh, Ray and learned it under him, and it was incredible in person. It's incredible on the video. And so this one, if you want to find Ray's original lesson um, that influenced mine, you can find it in his the series we always recommend, that the World May Know series from Focus on the Family. It is in Volume 5. It's the last faith lesson on Volume 5, titled The Early Church. So we'll try to find that and put a link to it in your show notes so you can find it and buy it and watch it. And love it. And love it. It's fantastic. But yeah, we come to our final letter, quote-unquote. It's all one letter of Revelation, but we've got these seven letters within a letter. Come to our final letter in Revelation, the letter to Laodicea. We start with a little bit. Uh, let's, let's, let's dive into the cultural backdrop of Laodicea here. Uh, Laodicea sat between two other cities, Heropolis and Colossae. Now, Heropolis, we talked about Colossae. We did a whole... Um, not a trick question. The book of the Bible named Colossians, written to Colossae. We talked about that earlier in this session. Uh, but Laodicea kind of sits almost a triangle, and it sits kind of in the middle between Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis was a major attraction. Uh, we're not going to talk about it a lot because you need to come experience Hierapolis with me on our Turkey trip. It's a it's a cool place to be. Uh, we talked about it briefly when we talked about Philip. There's a lot of really cool things that happen at Hierapolis. But uh, it's a major attraction even today because the natural there's a natural mineral hot springs uh, that flows from the cliff face uh, there at Heropolis even today. The water was uh, renowned for its incredible healing properties. In fact, we have a presentation for, we have, I don't know if we call it presentation, we have a few photos. I don't know if you'll even link them separately, Brent, or if you'll put them in one presentation. Yeah, we'll make it a presentation. Probably show up in the chapter art. Yes. Yeah, okay. So that first photo we'll look at is uh, the, you'll kind of see the cliffs uh, there of Heropolis. Those are the, that's the mineral springs. Now today, only a small little fraction of that water actually comes out. The The mineral springs have just died down and died down and died down. So in, in the more ancient days, much more of that cliff, that cliff face there you see would have just been running water with mineral hot springs. Today, it's just a little bit. And so they actually, they gradually um, rotate which part of the spring uh, is that the right way to say that? Is there another way to say that, Brent? I don't know. They're, they're, they they rotate what, where the water flows so that the whole cliff kind of maintains that mineral uh, deposit there that you see in that picture. I'm sure there's some sort of study of hydrology that has names for there you go. adjusting the flow of a river or a spring yeah. or whatever. But Some listener out there. It's not for us to know. They'll educate us. Yeah, this water was renowned because of its mineral attributes. It had these properties, and even to this day, uh, it was known for a great place for people to come uh, vacation or rest. Was it a busy, uh, busy place when you were there, Brent? Uh, yeah, at, at certain points more than others, Yeah, yes. Definitely had a lot of people there enjoying the hot springs. 
so people would come. Uh, there was even a, a, a military outpost not far from uh, Colossae, or excuse me, from Heropolis that will talk about here a little bit later in this episode but the soldiers there when they were on leave or had time off would often come to Heropolis so the warm hot water of Heropolis had all these healing properties now Colossae as we've seen already earlier on in session four was kind of off the beaten path and not on the main road uh, it was uh, it was known for its uh, Colossinus uh, we didn't talk about before, but one of the things that Colossae was known for was for its its uh, its Colossinus was the word they used for uh, a special red wool. It had like a red, and it was known it's kind of unique to that region. So that everybody knew about the Colossinus, which a a red wool people made robes and coats out of. Uh, the city also had a fresh water spring. Uh, you were there, Brent, right? Yep. We stood out of what looked like a ditch on the side of the road. Yep. Not That's impressive. About all all we could see. Yeah, but there was a there's a fresh water source there and flowing in that ditch. The farmers use it for their fields and whatnot is a is a, a, just a cool fresh water spring. Did I have people put their hands in it when we were there? Did you? I, don't, I don't think there's any water. Might have been disappointed when there when we were there. There might not have been water in there. But anyway, there is a spring there. And uh, most of my groups, I'll, I'll take them there. We'll stand just by the, the ditch there, and I'll actually have everybody take their turn and put their hand in the water because it's just, it's just cool, ice-cold spring water. And it is, it is a cool and refreshing thing. Uh, so there was a major earthquake. We've talked about those before in this session already. In AD, do you remember which one of the big one was? Uh, the big one was 70? Almost. 68? 60. 60. 60, yep. Uh, major earthquake in AD 60, and, and that hit the area. And Rome sent money to rebuild. We've talked about that with the whole parousia concept. Rome sent a bunch of money to rebuild Heropolis and Laodicea, and for obvious, uh, for obvious reasons they did. If you have these mineral hot springs, a great attraction, healing properties, uh, Heropolis is getting money to rebuild. Laodicea, we'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, Colossae was not integral. It was kind of off the beaten path, and path enough. Uh, we talked about in that episode, it wasn't essential to the stability of Rome. So they, they didn't get any money for bailout. So not long after that, the city vanished from history. Heropolis accepted the money and rebuilt their city. So they accepted the bailout and used it to kind of rebuild. In fact, a lot of the things that you saw, Brent, when you were there, the bathhouses, a lot of those things were kind of rebuilt after earthquakes. They had old bathhouses, but then they had built new bathhouses. They had old, I think you might have even seen the ruins of the old theater, but they had built a much, much better, nicer theater. Right. So that's 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 how that parousia, the bailout, works there. And Colossae is still unexcavated to this day. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Even today, there's almost like a <laughs> they still we still treat Colossi the same way today as they treated it back. Like, eh, who really wants to dig there? There's really nothing there. Like, who really cares? And so it's just unexcavated tell. How do we even know where it is? Down. We uh, well, I know in Lystra we dug up a. Um, uh, that's the other unexcavated tell. We actually dug up a stone that says "Welcome to Lystra." Colossi, we always are digging up stuff in the neighboring farms and and fields, and enough that we know where it was at, especially with other references there in history. Laodicea, however, chose to reject the money. Rome offered them a bailout, uh, and they chose to reject the money and rebuild on their own. Now, the efficient person inside of me says, well, why didn't they turn around and use that money they were going to give to Laodicea to rebuild Colossae? But nevertheless, I'm not a politician, obviously. So uh, they rejected their bailout money, um, 
And, and, and there's no evidence that the, the rejection was viewed as an insult. Like there's no, in fact, if anything, uh, maybe it was actually viewed as like, oh, wow, maybe the empire looks at you and you say, actually, we don't even need your money. We're going to do this on our own. And the emperor goes, wow, okay, well, you've earned our respect. Laodicea actually had a, a, a major mint um, where, you, where they made currency. And it was actually one of the main mints and banks uh, for the Roman Empire. But in the late first century, they printed local coins just for themselves. And the coins that they minted for Laodicea bore the phrase, we did it ourselves. We did it ourselves. If you visit the ruins of Laodicea today, you find the remnants of an ancient arena from the first century. If you look at your next picture there in your presentation, you're going to see the ruins of this uh, huge arena that they used for gladiatorial combat. Uh, seated roughly about 60,000 people, the arena served as a, a, a regional center for gladiators to come and to fight. Uh, the best of the best gladiators, like I, I imagine like what it would be in our world if the MMA was kind of centered, the UFC was centered in particular areas, and it probably even is. I'm kind of an idiot about those kind of things, but nevertheless. <laughs> but well, they, we hope so. Yeah, they, they, had this, uh, they had this arena in Laodicea. That's where the best of the best gladiators were. People would come from all around to watch them engage in combat. In fact, the Roman military even used the location as a training station. Uh, gladiators would create new weapons, and they would become experts in those weapons. And some of those weapons, the Roman military uh, would actually station themselves there to learn from the experts. The gladiators, according to history, would actually train Roman soldiers in how to use the weapons that they were even creating. So this was kind of a military and entertainment outpost. Good fighters, good entertainers. Apparently not good builders, though, because these ruins are not particularly impressive. Yeah, that's true. Man, although, I think, Brent, if you come back with us, you'll be amazed at what they've done in Laodicea. Okay. It is the fastest... What did they tell me last time I was there? The fastest moving archaeological uh, dig or project in that port... Europe or... The world, or it's there it's was amazing. a significant amount of machinery and work going on. It Scaffolding is. everywhere. There was stuff. There was stuff going on. And you were there in 2016. No, yeah, 2016. yeah, 2016. Oh my gosh, so much stuff has been done. You'll you'll be impressed. You you will be floored when you make it back, Brent. It, it is unbelievable. And what's so crazy about that? This is a little PS. We're we're kind of nerding out here in this episode. The whole project at Laodicea is funded by the modern day city that's there right now. Like usually the country, the, the we would say the federal government, but the Turkish government will will fund the projects out of the Ministry of Tourism. Well, they're trying to convince the Ministry of Tourism to fund the project. And so the local people there are actually paying for the entire project. And it's moving so, so quickly. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And because of that, there's all kinds of like neat things that if if you come with us we get to do because it's a private right now it's a it's not the ministry of tourism it's a private dig so anyway <sighs> i digress <laughs> i'm so excited about laodicea so much has happened all right so so because of the large and constant military presence one of the things that the region was known for was uh the, the soldiers could demand a meal there was a particular point uh, portion of Roman law called Angaria. And according to Angaria, we talked about in session three, they could use this to demand that you carry their pack a mile. They could do all kinds of things. One of the things they could do is they could come knock on your door. And as a Roman soldier, um, we would say active duty, they could say, hey, I need a meal. And you would have to provide a meal. It was law. You couldn't turn them away. You had to give them whatever you had uh, and and provide them with, with an adequate meal. And so um, 
that's something that happened a lot in this region. Uh, some of the other cities in the region, like Heropolis, which had to entertain the soldiers who were on leave, actually wrote to Rome and asked them to loosen the demand of the Angaria law on local citizens. Soldiers were always stationed there, and getting a knock on the door was a routine draw on the residents in a way that wasn't common in other places of the empire. While some cities complained, Laodicea never did. Just as their coins said, they were proud to be able to take care of themselves with no assistance from other people. In a similar way to the Colosinus wool from Colossae, Laodicea was known for its own wool. It was a black wool that was used to make what they called tromata. Tromata. Uh, they had this black, almost like, think about a leather jacket. Like Think about that kind of like flashy, trendy fashion statement. They also exported a famous eye salve. Um, using the mineral mud from Heropolis, from that min- they would use those mineral cakes from the water, and they would uh, make a medical treatment that was known in the ancient world, according to history, it was known to heal certain kinds of blindness. So that's interesting. It was the home of a famous orator named Zeno, like we have American Idol or The Voice. In their world, they had people that would give speeches, orators. Um, and one of their, one of the most famous ones, one of the pe- person that won just over and over and over again would win these, um, these competitions. His name was Zeno. It was well known all throughout the empire. He had three children, one son and two daughters who all ended up marrying royalty from different regions. They all became either king or queens. Uh, finally, one negative uh, thing about Laodicea, still thinking in context here. It's one negative thing they dealt with. They, they were known for having really bad water. So if you look at your next picture there, um, they had a real problem with the water. It was not a good water source. The hot mineral water, I told you that uh, Laodicea, where did it lie? In, rel- in relative to these two cities, Col- Colossae and uh, Heropolis, Brent? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And so what happened was the water, the hot mineral water of Heropolis combined with the cold spring water of Colossae to make a lukewarm, somewhat destructive water. Attempting to pipe water in from 35 miles away, which they still do to this day in the modern city, I'm told. Their ancient systems did not work. I think they figured it out more in our modern system today. But their ancient systems did not work, and they struggled to find good drinking water. Uh, They are now remnants of a fountain, which is what you actually see in that picture there. Um, The remnants of this fountain in Laodicea, uh, you you can just look at it. It's been replumbed multiple times just over and over and over again because the the pipes continue to clog with these white crusted mineral deposits in the pipe. All right, so that's that's all our culture. How about we listen now to the letter? And, of course, we're going to have a particular hermeneutic. What are, we, what are we always doing, Brent? We start by listening. We're going to listen for two things. We're going to read the letter once, but what are we going to look for, Brent? Number one? For culture. Culture. Number two? For the text. For the text. So let's keep culture in mind and listen to the letter, and then we'll talk text. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich." and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. 
Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, let's just do some basic uh, context work here. Just think culture for a moment. How about this phrase? You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's interesting that the first time it goes hot nor... I just noticed that, too. Neither cold nor hot, and then the second time it's neither hot nor cold. Yeah, I just noticed that, too. I wonder if there's something more to that. I don't know. It's good. That's a good Bema-type question. Haven't haven't wrestled with that before. Uh, I can't tell you, however, how many youth group lessons I sat through where this passage was used to spur us out of apathy. Quit living on the fence, our youth pastors would say. Get in or get out. God would rather have you against him than have you on the fence. <laughs> I, yeah, I heard that lesson many times as well, and it's always like, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of weird to process. And this well-intentioned lesson could not have missed the point more. The teaching here is clearly pulling on two things that are beneficial and useful. The hot mineral water in Heropolis brings healing, and the cold spring water of Colossae is refreshing and life-giving. Be something, be useful, but don't be useless. Some poisonous combination of both that makes you good for nothing. So the point isn't that God would rather have you against him than be lukewarm. The point is that God wants you to be good for something. Be be hot or be cold, but be useful. Don't be a dangerous combination of both, both things which are useful in and of themselves. But if you put them, it's just yuck. How about this phrase? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. A great depiction of the attitude of the we did it ourselves, Laodicea. They printed those coins. We did it ourselves. Uh, I counsel you to buy uh, from me gold refined in the fire, uh, as opposed to the mint and banking institutions of Laodicea, perhaps, maybe? Hmm? Uh, how about uh, give you white clothes to wear, a contrast to what, Brent Billings? The black wool. Yeah, the tramada, that black wool that they had. Uh, or even even the Colosseos, but in this instance, the, directly the tramada of Laodicea. Uh, I, I, I counsel you to put, to, uh, I want to give you salve to put on your eyes, God says. A reference to the famous mineral salve that they exported that could heal blindness. Uh, how about this one? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. John references that practice of local soldiers, that Angaria law, who would come knocking at the door demanding a meal. Jesus will come knocking, but he makes no demands. Should you choose to open the door, he will dine with you and invite you to sit down and dine with him. Something you would have never done with the soldiers. Or how about this phrase? I will give the right to sit on my throne. Some have suggested this could be a reference to Zeno. And his children, they went on to sit on thrones. That could be a reach, but it feels good to me. So where does this material come from? Where is it, Brent? It's in the text. It's in the text. So let's uh, let's hear some text. Let's hear all the text that John is likely pulling off of to find his wording here that's perfect for his context. Exactly like he did in Thyatira, exactly like he did in Pergamum. Uh, let's go ahead and hear some, hear some thoughts here. Give us uh, Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, 
Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Feels relevant to me to Laodicea, who said we did it ourselves, and we have our own bank and our own mint, and and we are rich. How about uh, Isaiah 65? How about that? Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. Right, so in Hebrew, the phrase one true God uh, could also be translated quite literally, the God who is a man. One true God, the God who is a man. There is a shared usage in the Septuagint. In the context of Isaiah 65, if we think in terms of like a remas, uh, even the reference hidden from my eyes will play into the teaching here to the church at Laodicea. So we saw that in the letter where he said, this is the, let's see, let me grab the reference here. Uh, These are the words of the amen, the God who is amen. All right, excellent. Let's see here. What else we got? Uh, How about uh, we go to Proverbs 3. Read me a little something out of Proverbs 3 and let's see if we hear anything that fits the letter to Laodicea. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is far more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. All right. And if we really wanted to stretch there, or not even stretch, but if we wanted to keep looking, there'd be numerous prophets that that give us the following, that, that same idea. Uh, Hosea 12 would be maybe one of the clearest ones for me, in my opinion, in this context. Give me some Hosea 12. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. See, I hope this is starting to click for us because I just don't think we read Revelation. I don't think when we, maybe when we're hearing this teaching, we're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Why are we spending so much time on this? We're spending so much time on this because I don't know anybody in my world that reads Revelation and thinks Hosea 12. Or even thinks anything in the Old Testament at all. Exactly. Like we're all talking future and not realizing that John is referencing all of this stuff that has already been, and you have to know your text in order to pick up on it. Like they didn't have BibleGateway.com to do a word search. And so you had to know your text well enough to know, ah, yeah, Hosea 12. And everyone wants to skip session two. I know. <laughs> but shame, this is where shame. all this stuff is coming from. For all of you folks that are listening to this, this lesson, and you didn't listen to session two, shame. Shame. All right. <laughs> Enough. Should we call them lukewarm listeners? <laughs> so great. Um, so let's see here. How about the famous reference of spitting or vomiting you out of my mouth there in the letter to Laodicea? Um, certainly not unique to Revelation. Feels like it for many of us. But it's pulled straight out of Leviticus. Two different options. How about Leviticus 18? But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, 
It will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. All right. We got another option. If we uh, turn the page a couple times, get to Leviticus 20, and we have a very similar passage. Give me Leviticus 20. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. All right. So what I love about the, the history lesson of Laodicea is that they received a sharp rebuke from God through John in Revelation. I think we often assume, at least I often do or did, that these churches didn't learn their lesson and were punished. However, the church in Laodicea would end up becoming quite a presence in the world of Asia Minor. Like, I think we always listen to these letters and we go, oh, yeah, that church is a bad church. Oh, yeah, that church was a bad church. There's a couple one, There's a couple letters that just have good things said about them. But most of the seven churches, I think five out of the seven, have some pretty sharp rebukes from God. And I think we all listen to them and we go, oh, yeah, those churches were failures. Not necessarily. Laodicea went on to become a pretty big church in the early, in, in the ancient world. Archaeologists recently uncovered a church uh, with brilliant mosaic. Uh, I actually got to go in and see it. It was awesome. Beautiful mosaic. I don't even know. They had just uncovered the church when you were there, Brent. They hadn't even built the, I'm telling you, they've done so much in Laodicea. you got to come back. You'll be impressed. Um, they even covered this massive, massive church, put a huge roof over the top of it. I think they had started the roof. Okay. They had, right. like, they had the supporting structures, but they hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly wasn't open. Oh, man, it was it was a thing. So, uh, so this mosaic in the middle of this church actually references Polycarp, uh, who was, who's first disciple? John. John which I love that, relevance to Revelation here. John's first disciple is found honored in a mosaic in Laodicea. May we learn the lessons we need to learn and let the Lord discipline us as a child he loves. May we wake from our slumber and sloth to seize the calling to be useful in God's kingdom. Those are the seven churches of Revelation, Brent. It's time to keep on moving into the rest of the letter. We have a lot more to cover. A lot of apocalyptic stuff to look at. All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. You can go to BamaDeception.com, check out our group's page, uh, find a discussion group to get in if you're not in one already, uh, or start one if there's not one in your area. That'd be great too. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.